You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We get into the journeys of their life, the ups and downs, what made them make the choices that they have in their life, doubts and fears that they've faced, how they have gotten to where they are today, and how they get through the day today. Because I want to drive home that our feelings of being enough, of being worthy, of being successful, of being fulfilled, of being lovable are not out there somewhere. Once I have this, once I do this, then I will feel this. You might. You might feel it a little bit, but you'll often just keep putting it outside of yourself and chasing it. It is up to us to claim our joy, to claim our worth, to claim our value, to claim our enoughness every single day sometimes every moment of the day. (laughs) On today's episode, I have Meredith Atwood. She has written a couple best-selling books. The first was a triathlon book. And um, the most recent one is called The Year of No Nonsense. And that's how I came to know of her. So we talk about her journey in becoming a lawyer, becoming uh, becoming or quitting being a lawyer, uh, how she got into triathlons, and what is the year of no nonsense? I love talking to Meredith. Let's get to it. Uh, well, let's get into. I always feel like if I don't know somebody super well in their story, it's always a fun place for me to start, like in high school. Because I feel like, you know, that's a time where it feels like there can be so much pressure of you're already supposed to know what you're going to do in life. Or like, did you know, were you like, I'm going to go to college because you wanted to go to college? Did you not want to go to college? Were you going to college because that's what you should do? And the expectations like, did you enjoy life? Were you already? (laughs) What was life like for you in (laughs) high school? And yeah, and seeing Lynn and also like, yeah, did you in high school have an idea of what you wanted to do with your life? Yeah. Yeah. So I was in high school like everyone else, but I was also an Olympic style weightlifter, which was outside of my high school. So I, that was a community team. So I go to high school and then when everyone else went to basketball practice or out with their friends, I went to weightlifting. So I was a very serious competitive weightlifter starting around the age of 14. And how did you get into weightlifting at age 14? Let's just go Right, exactly. And this was way before CrossFit. No one did this crap. Like it, it used to like the competitions were in a random Ramada Inn. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a cool thing to do. And so it started because I played basketball. I was in eighth grade. I was in basketball. And my coach used to grab the girls. And this sounds terrible because like now no one would do this. But he would grab the girls by the back of the arm and drag us around to show us where positions were. <laughs> He'd be like, you here, you here, you know. Um, but what he said, he told my dad, he's like, well, when I grab Meredith, she doesn't move. She, <laughs> she's thick, hefty, you know. And I was like, OK. But anyway, so he's like, I know a guy um, who's who owns a gym and he has these women that are weightlifters and Meredith might be good at it. And so I don't even know how this happened. My, I think my dad just said, you should go try this. And I said, okay, fine. And I go into the gym and on the first day I clean and jerk 50 kilos, which is 110 pounds. And that's from the floor to overhead. And I was 12, 13, 14, I don't know, the 14 years old, turning 14. 
And so at the time, girls didn't lift weights. And so that was amazing. And now we know that a lot of girls can come in and do that. A lot of girls can't. Um, It's still, I think, a special breed. But anyway, so here I am in basketball. And all of a sudden, the weightlifting coach in Savannah, Michael Cohen's like, you're a prodigy, come lift weights. And I'm like, cool, I'll go be a prodigy. Why not? But I don't really remember deciding. I felt like it was decided for me between my dad and my coach. And and it's interesting when someone tells you you're good at something, you kind of go, okay, I should do this. I'm good at it. And, but I also was fine at basketball and I was a great volleyball player and, and I loved volleyball, but I just dropped it. I just dropped that and went to weightlifting and. Oh, so you stopped basketball and volleyball and just went full on weightlifting. I stopped. I just became a weightlifter and that was not a cool thing for an eighth grade girl to do. I'm sure you have people probably like, huh, wait, you're doing what? They probably don't even understand. Like I lost and I lost all, like almost all of my girlfriends. I was out of that girl clique immediately. Boys became intimidated by me. Um, In high school, I was brought in to teach the football team how to do power cleans. So that was real cool. That was great for dating life. But at at the same time, I was in the sport and I met very diverse people and I I'm so grateful. It gave me a different view of the world. I was in prep school. I would have never had a realistic view of the world had I not gone into weightlifting and met other people outside of the Southern white prep school community. <laughs> like, honestly, so I'm so grateful that I had a chance to to be in the real world and and learn to lift weights and, and learn what competition was like. And so high school was really weird for me. Um, and I did that until freshman year of college. So when you're saying like you sort of lost your friends and then even, yeah, you're going to teach the boys like how to do this. And so you're obviously like people think I you, like you're aware everyone. These people think I'm weird or they don't want to be friends with me now and stuff like that. So what was keeping you like were you you were doing the weightlifting? Were you being empowered by it? And was it because of the people that you were in the weightlifting, you know, rooms with and stuff that made it be that you could still go to school and yeah. show up and be like, all right, well, these people don't like me anymore, but I guess that's just what it is. Like, I'm guessing it, you cared, but you continued on. So I did, I did care. And, and it's interesting when you surround yourself with different minded people, um, what begins to matter all of a sudden, you know, the school drama didn't matter to me because these people were Olympics caliber athletes, you know, many of them. And, and 2000 was the year that women's weightlifting was first into the Olympics. And so I'm over there training in 1998 hoping like maybe I can make Olympic trials and I might be able to go to the Olympics. And, um, you know, so there was, I was just, it's a different wavelength. And and when you have someone who gets on that wavelength and you, you find a bunch of people who also have it, you just, you, your focus changes. And so it was a really positive thing. It taught me so much. And I, I really didn't care about the clicks in high school. I mean, I still had friends. I still had plenty of high school friends, but it was, I wasn't running with the crowd. You know, I just, and that was not an option anymore because they went places after school and I went to lift weights. <laughs> I didn't go to the coffee shop or wherever. Where did we used to go? McDonald's? Because I don't think there were like coffee shops then. Um, but so you were no longer like, oh, yeah, it's like, okay, I'm not going to run with our crowd. But you were also starting to get like, do I even care about running with the crowd? <laughs> right. Right. And I didn't. And so then naturally, so it was slightly in affluent school and people cared about shopping at the gap and the limited. And I, my parents were never like one to be like, here's 50 bucks, go buy a 
some outfits like they were never into that and so then I made a complete turn and I was like I started shopping at Goodwill and I wore combat boots and I was the first one to ever to get a cartilage piercing at my school you know what I mean and then I dyed my hair red and and then the day I turned 18 I got a tattoo so (laughs) just you know maybe I cared but I pretended I didn't and um you know when I was in high school I wanted to be a writer I always wanted to be a writer and then so I left and went to college to be a writer I, I went to University of Georgia and was majoring in journalism and someone told me you're never going to make any money as a writer and some people would be like well so what but that really scared me because my dad was self-employed and I watched the struggle of money my whole life I just like they they sacrificed to send me to private school they said everything was a sacrifice you know that that was the word we sacrifice we sacrifice and so I thought well it would be selfish of me to sacrifice my dream for not making money if I'm ever going to have a family. And so I made a hard right, went to an English degree and went to law school afterwards and got married in the middle of it. And so, you know, your question of, did you know what you wanted to do with your life? No, I had no idea who I was. I'm still like confused about who I am sometimes because it's just, it's just a weird situation when I think back to how my path kind of turned into what it did. I got married very young. Very 21. And um, then I went to law school. So my husband and I were both in grad school um, after marriage. And that and that's interesting. And we waited a while to have kids. My son didn't come along till I was 27. But um, then I had them in rapid succession. My daughter was 14 months later. And then that was it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> no more, no more kids. But um, from there, you know, I just had a really stressful job. I was a lawyer and I didn't want to be a lawyer. I knew like sitting in law school. Yeah, I know. I like, so yeah. So you knew you always wanted to be a writer and you went to journalism school when you wanted to be a writer. Did you think you were going to be a journalist or writing books or like, did you have some sort of vision of that? And also like, yeah, I start in high school and like what you wanted to be. Cause of course I'm like, most people have no fucking clue, but that's where it feels like the pressure of you need to do should, should, should. Cause you know how I feel about shoulds. And I feel like that's a big time where should start is like, you should know what you want. You should want to fit in with these people. You should go to college. You should do this. And that like, so some people have this, oh yeah, I remember I wanted this or like what steered you and like, yeah, so you went after journalism, but then the money. So never mind. I'm going to sacrifice this thing I want because I should be able to support my family and not have to like grow up with the same feeling of my parents always sacrificing for my kids. Right. Right. And so, yeah, I, it was never a question that I was going to college. Like never. I mean, I think my, my parents would have disowned me, honestly. Like it was just never you will go get a degree. <laughs> okay. Like it wasn't on the table and and that's fine. I mean, I, th- I think when my kids go to get that age, I'll be like, ah, oh, you need the piece of paper, go get the piece of paper. It, don't, don't worry about it. You can get straight C's and party or whatever, but just go get the piece of paper. Cause logistically the people that don't go to college young, unless they make it big, they end up going back to college in their forties <laughs> and it's no fun to go to college in your forties. Like, I just want to be like, look, go knock it out. Um, but yeah, it was, it was not an option. I was not the pilot of my own ship, pilot of my own plane, captain of my own ship. And um, I was neither ships nor planes. And I look back and I blame my parents. And then I look back and I'm like, I could have chosen, but I was too busy never asking anyone um, what, or I was too busy asking people what they thought of me and not 
deciding for myself. I didn't decide for myself until recently. And this is a phenomenon. I mean, this, I couldn't believe that most of my decisions I had made were based off of either fear or someone else's outside validation. I never just asked myself, hey, what do you want to do with your life? Never until recently. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm 40. Um, and that's crazy. That is crazy. But and t- unless you're raised with no expectations and someone who's like, be who you want to be. Like, how do you know what you want to be? I am an, I think I'm an anomaly because yeah, I was not And I do. And, you know, I think, you know, I can um, thank my having physical pain that created a lot of problems for me on top of being in high school and my parents not getting along that like I hit a like limit at 15 and had a major breakdown and I almost committed suicide. And that was the catalyst to me being like, fuck this. Like, why am I trying so hard and I thought I was always so independent and not caring what people thought, too. and still evolve that way. That's like, of course, I think what people care what people think even still, no matter how many times I go through those layers, but that I, um, I was just sort of like realized that I can't control the physical pain, but I can't control the emotional pain. And that like, I'm trying so hard to like fit in or be cool or what should I do? What should I wear? What's this? Like, what if I just like cared the most about what I thought? And that's what I did. Like I became a live sound engineer and I went after my dream. I didn't know what it was and I made it happen. But same thing. I say the only thing I did for my parents was to get a degree. But I went to a liberal arts and communication school (laughs) and was working. I went 18 hours within like two days and would work free at House of Blues to learn it on the side. And they actually even did have a sound program. So I made it work for me. So I get what you're saying. Like not like I'm like, I don't know what I'll tell my kids. But like, I think it is nice to have a degree, even though like I'm I found a fun school that was awesome to do it at. And they had like whatever. Yeah. And, you know, just from like a life practicality standpoint, I poo-poo law school all the time. I'm like, oh, it was bullshit. I wish I wouldn't have done it. But you know what's real handy about being a lawyer? (laughs) Is when someone hands you a contract, you can smell the bullshit. You know, and when your landlord's messing with you, you're like, you can't do this. Like, there is, and and, and I take that for granted. Not actually, but like with my persona, I'm like, I don't want to be a lawyer, recovering attorney. But like when the, when I need it, I'm really grateful for that education because it's handy. Like no one's going to mess with my people. Like it's just not happening. And you know, my life clients I talk to, I'm like, oh no, no, you need to call a lawyer in your state. And you know, I don't armchair lawyer, but it's not the worst degree. (laughs) I realize now how rare it is that I put what I thought about myself to be true to be first at such a young age. (laughs) And that's why I'm writing this book where I'm like trying to teach people that with, by just focusing on the one word should, but yeah, like, so. Yes. (laughs) And give it to everyone for like middle school graduation gifts. You know what I mean? Like I have a lot of people who are reading my book, like mothers who are asking me, do you think this would be good for a 16 year old? I'm like, it's a little heavy. But yeah, give it to him, whatever, you know, it might help save a life or some time, (laughs) some time, some money, some student loans. For sure. Jumping back to great. So you made that first you went to English and then did you pursue law and law school just because you're like, what can I do that will make money and also interest? Like, where did you land in law school? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
So, well, so I got an English degree because I read up that law schools prefer English degrees for admission. And so I took Latin as my language because the law schools prefer Latin. Don't take Latin. (laughs) It's useless. It's a dead language for a reason. Don't. I took two years of Latin. Um, So, yeah, the second I was I was in my sophomore year of college and I realized I was going to go to law school after graduation. And so I started to prepare. And so that's why I got an English degree. I mean, I I guess I wasn't completely blind about it because I wanted I still wanted to write and I like to read. And, you know, so English is it's not like I had a terrible time in college. I enjoyed my degree. It taught me a lot. And, you know, I prepared that way. But law school, it was funny. I sat down on the first day of class. My entire family was so proud. Oh, my gosh, their daughter is going to law school today is their first day of school, you know. And I sat down in that first day of civil procedure class and I was like, Oh, sweet Jesus, I made a mistake. (laughs) Like, I just knew it. I knew it. And, you know, when I look back and I talk to people, I talk to a lot of people who say, yeah, I went to one year law school and I got the hell out of there. And I'm like, wow, you're so brave. I mean, I, if I had any self-awareness, I would have stood up after that first class and been like, nope, not for me. Because I knew it. I knew it right then and there. The people were too competitive. There was so much like, masculine alpha male energy in the room and I'm a very masculine female and if and if I was feeling like (laughs) you know timid I was like oh my god these people are wolves um and I you know looking back it was it was a self-confidence issue it was I would love to go to law school now you know now that I'm 40 I'm like it'd be awesome to go back to school um but yeah I knew I knew right then that I was making a mistake and so that really up the ante on my drinking problem. I had a drinking problem in college. Um, I had a suicide attempt at, in college at 20. And my husband was, we were dating and he still ended up marrying me. So you might want to interview him for a podcast sometime. But <laughs> um, he like, we, so I was drinking heavily. I quit for a while, went back. But when I got into law school and realized, oh my God, I've really made a mistake. I started drinking very heavily. And I, I was very big in law school. I ballooned up to about 250 pounds and I drank all the time. And my best friend in law school, I was like, do you smell vodka on me? And she's like, sometimes, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and that was just kind of who I was. It was just, you know, when you make a colossal mistake because you felt like you should do this thing and you continue to do this thing that you know is a mistake, you got that energy has to go somewhere. And when you're a people pleaser, it doesn't go anywhere but internal because you're not going to you're not going to tell anyone you're not going to disappoint people so i turned the hate and the anger and the fear onto myself i smoked i drank i i took no care of myself like just a trash can um and and that was terrible and then second third let's see summer between second and third law school's 3 years summer between second and third year of law school um i decided to quit drinking for a bit and I started taking diet pills. <laughs> I lost 50 pounds over the summer, dyed my hair red again, and went back to third year of law school. And I was standing there talking to my friend. And after about an hour, he was like, oh my God, I didn't know who you were until just this minute. Like an hour I talked to this guy because I I changed so quickly. But that only lasted for a minute. 
I went back to drinking and then we moved. And I, you know, as a lawyer, you think, or as a law student, you think, okay, then I'm going to get out of law school and I'm going to have this great job, which pays me a ton of money. Wrong. It was like the start, the year that I graduated was like the start of lawyers being too many. There was too many of us and no one really wanted to hire a drunk. (laughs) And I like, I just, I couldn't get a job. And my, I was middle of the class. I wasn't, you know, the A students go to big firms, the B students struggle and the C students just go do something cool They're, They just went to law school for the hell of it. But the B students, the ones in the middle of the class, um, they struggle, they struggle to find jobs. And so I ended up going, we moved to a small town and I made, I got a job as a associate attorney in the small town. They called me the little lady lawyer and I made less money than I would have made writing. I got paid less than the prosecutors. I got paid less than the government attorneys as my first year. And I, it was like, wow, I'm sure glad I did that. You know? Because you were like, I got, I'm going to suffer through law school. I'm getting through law school because the big bucks are on the other side of this. All right, I graduated. Big bucks, big bucks. Where are you? <laughs> And they were nowhere. I mean, I made like, I'll tell you, it was like $38,000 out of law school with $90,000 in student loans, you know? And and so you think, huh, this isn't how I thought, but it's okay. And so then after a couple of years, I ended up moving to Atlanta and I got, I got some bigger paying jobs and, and then there was money, but by then there's debt and I had a couple of kids and, and it, and yeah, you're making good money. Your husband's making good money. But you're, you're, you got to hire a nanny and people are like, oh, well, it's so nice to have a nanny instead of a daycare. No, you have to have a nanny because if you, you're in court, you can't stay home when your kid's sick. You have to have another human. And, and so it becomes this shoulds and have tos. And then your whole entire life, if you're not cognizant of it, gets out of control and you're just a big should, <laughs> a should show. <laughs> it was a big should show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, going all the way back, because I thought about this while you were talking, what happened to the Olympic weight training? Does it just you graduated high school and then left that behind? So it's interesting. I had an opportunity to make the Olympics. I had an opportunity. I, I was mentally weak in a lot of my training. Um, I look back on the qualifying total for the 2000 Olympic, the alternate position. I could have made that like it it wasn't far off. It was like 22 pounds and I had two years to make it. Um, I quit. I quit because there was, I didn't love it anymore. I felt tremendous pressure from my father to succeed in the athletic arena because he had not, he had blown some big opportunities in his athletic life. And and I was in my head from like age five, you know, don't blow it, don't blow it, don't blow it. And at 19, I or 18, I went to a competition and I purposely blew it. Like I purposely blew my world spot. I had a, a spot on the world team. All I had to do is make this one lift. And I remember going out there being like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do it. And so I, I, I subconsciously blew it. And I look back and then I walked away. Like I, I cleaned out my locker. And I never looked back. And so now I can look back on that and go, oh my God, you never dealt with that loss. 
you were an, a weightlifter. Like I had gone to worlds. I had, I had won nationals one year. I, I was decent, you know, and then I walked away and never dealt with it. And so naturally I started doing things like drinking and, and that was even prior to law school, but I never dealt with it. I never dealt with that loss. Um, and then I just got really fat and like gave up and I, and I never connected those dots until recently that I had to mourn that. And it wasn't until about three years ago when I went back to the gym and put my hands on a barbell that I realized, Oh my God, I loved this. I loved it. It just got ruined for me. It got, um, I got lost. I got lost in what I should do <laughs> and, and what I wanted to do. And it just became too much. And I think, I, I think that's not uncommon for athletes that are close, but not quite, you know, and that's how I look at it. Um, look at me as a weightlifter. I was close enough, but not quite. And, and could I have made the Olympics? Maybe. Um, but I was not quite, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And so I, I've had to kind of mourn that, but I don't really feel that, that torn up about it because it just is what it is. I can't go back and do a damn thing about it. Um, but my daughter's super into lifting weights and CrossFit. And so I see it. Um, my, the one thing my husband said, we're like, we will let them do any sport they want, but not weightlifting because he was a weightlifter. And we were just like, we're not going to do it. It's, it's just, it's terrible on your body. Like all this, you know, and of course the, the girl goes to the gym at age 10, picks up a barbell and moves like a maniac. And I'm like, we got a weightlifter. Like, where did we think in our genetic code? Like we weren't going to have a weightlifter in the family, <laughs> you know, but you know, the, the, the good thing about it is I can help her in different ways. I think, I think at least if she's really into it, I think there's a champion mindset you've got to figure out without putting the yeah. enormous weight of the world on your children <laughs> to do it, you know? Um, and is that what you were feeling? Like you were saying, like, you kind of like, it got ruined for you. Whereas like you loved it, but it was it like the pressures of like, I got to make this team and the, this, the like pushing, pushing, pushing to be best that started to ruin it for you that like you could have just kept doing it and loved it. But there was like the mounting stress of the best, the next, what can I make the, the, this. Yeah. And that came from my dad a hundred percent. I think my coach was very, he was good, but the, he was never just insanely pressuring. He was very, supportive, but I felt like I was there to redeem the mistakes of my dad. And, and if I didn't win and I didn't succeed at this, like that was the, that was all of it. That's all it meant to me. And was that, was your dad actually saying that or was that you like carrying up, carrying and making that weight? You know, I, I think no, I think there was a little bit of both. I, I yeah. think there was a little bit of both. And it, it was always like um, successes in our blood. And, you know, it was that kind of dialogue that you walk out onto a competition platform and you go, all right, this is the responsibility of me to uphold our blood <laughs> to do right. this. And, to, and it's silly. And in hindsight, it's silly. Um, but when you're living it, when you're living it and, and my dad, um, used to sit at the gym, like he would just sit at the gym. And then afterwards, if he would drive me home, we would, he would deconstruct things. And, you know, I don't want to deconstruct anymore. I just want to go to the gym. I don't want to talk about it. And, and so there's a lot there that was my responsibility, but I never saw it. I, d I didn't see it. I didn't feel like I was ever in control of my life. 
Well, so now, yeah. And now you have opportunity to do it different with your daughter. And if she wants to go into it, then you know, okay, this is how I don't want to be handling it or talking to her. And Right, right. And so when the gyms were open, she's training at home now. I would ask her, do you want me to sit here with you? Do you want me to work on my computer? What do you, what do you want me to do? How can I support you? And she she will give me guidance. And I think that's the only way I know how to proceed going forward. How can I be helpful to your dreams? What are, one, what are your dreams? What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> how can I support what you want? And, and I, that's something that was never asked, I don't think. I think um, in our generation, if you were good at something, it was assumed you would go do that thing. You know, if you appeared to be good at chemistry and math, you should go be a doctor. Or, and yes, to the things that were safe and made money and had benefits and structure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't mean to sound like I'm just a parent blamer because it's not that. But until you know where that voice comes from, until you know where the pressure comes from and, and where it was being driven, I think you can't deal with it. And then you have to accept your own role in it. And and I never did that. I, I was too, my role in my childhood and my teen years and through my 20s, my role was making people happy. How will I, what can I do to make you happy and proud? And that's, and that's how I guided my life. So when I felt their praise or their approval, that's where I went. I was such the opposite. <laughs> and it's so interesting. Uh, and I think that is genetic. I don't think you learned that. I don't know. I don't know. Because I mean, I don't fucking know. I look back and I think, where did I <laughs> get that like gumption? Or like, and I said, I think like, you know, obviously life events and the fact of like struggling with chronic pain helped me. And in many ways, but yeah, now when I'm talking to you, when I hear the stories and I'm looking back in my own life that like, and then it might've been the opposite that like, you know, I'm sure I always, we're always searching for validation, especially from like our parents and loved ones. But I think that, you know, that I was definitely maybe someone that like did it in a form of like rebellion and sort of like, well, I don't feel like I get the love and support I want. So I'm just going to do whatever I want. And like, I don't feel like I ever did things to please my parents. Mm. I was opposite. Well, they probably did the proper amount of praise. I got really praised. No, they didn't. Like I grew up without even being told I love you or hugged until a certain age because that's how my mom was raised. Like, and then they started at one point and it freaked me out. Right. Like, still to this day, it freaks me out to get a hug from my mom. I <laughs> hug people I'm so loving and I still have issues with hugging my mom based on like those earlier years of my life. And it feels terrible because I love my mom so much. But I have these issues from early on that were that were bred into her by her parents. And I know they're not her fault, you know, and it's like, yeah. but like, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, right. I was overloved. I was overloved. I was smothered and loved. And that's why when my parents hear me complain or read my book, they're like, we don't understand. We loved you so much. I'm like, I know it. That's the problem. You didn't let me grow at all. You just smothered me with love. And people are like, oh my God, that's so terrible. What a terrible childhood. But that is its own form of hell. It is its own form of hell to be smothered and to not get to grow and not to even decide for yourself. Like what, like to be loved into complacency and, and loved into a place like, well, they, if I don't do this, they won't love me. That becomes your food. You know, that becomes how you breathe as a child yeah. who's very loved and then seeks approval. Like you, if they withhold their approval and that's, that was how my parents got what they wanted from me. They withheld their love. And so 
you don't get a hug because you disappointed daddy. I mean, shit, I'm just going to not disappoint daddy. <laughs> and that that's the message. And, and it's crazy. And so to be able to identify that and say now, OK, it doesn't matter if daddy's disappointed you're 40. Just go live your life find love elsewhere but it's crazy it's crazy and that's what I had to learn and that's and I didn't just get there organically like I I envy people like you Trisha like it's so much well I've got my own issues so it's cool like I mean <laughs> I mean what I've had to work through I mean, right. and even I was about to say that like I realized sure. through like work and stuff um you know that I've done through my own self evaluating and stuff like that that I realized that I've I've lived my life and moved through the world and I still do what I have to catch myself as if I don't need you. I don't need anybody. I don't need you, which has served me well. It's made me very independent and confident and believe in myself and go after things that I want because I can do this. I don't need you. But what I then realized was that 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 happened because I felt like nobody ever cared about me. But they did. So then I created this thing. But so I have in many ways, I isolated myself for years and when it might open myself up to anyone. And like, so I've had to like reprogram some of that. And it's still my natural tendency to want to leave or like to be like, well, I don't need you. I don't need this relationship. We're going to end this or blah, blah, blah. And be like, I don't need you. And like, that doesn't, and that doesn't serve me. <laughs> I have to go back and do the work. And <laughs> Right. But, but so I did the same thing because it was so overwhelming. Like when I went to law school and got on my own, I kept people at a distance. So I did the same thing because I'm like, you people are too close, too close. And so I, I rebelled, drank, pushed people away. And now I don't want anyone near me. <laughs> I don't want people close to me. So it's like I had the double doozy. It was like, love, love, love. No. And so I have to work to bring, let people in because when people come in, I feel trapped. So we I have to work to let people in too, but it's for this other reason of like. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. So I think the, the core of humanity is how do we establish intimacy when we all don't want it real deep? Uh, <laughs> oh my God. But it was, so I had this horrible, miserable existence until I found triathlon um, in my early 30s. Trisha here bringing you a brief interruption. Did you know? Did you get it yet? I have a daily inspiration app. Yeah, on your phone. You can get it in the Google Play or the Apple App Store. It's only $3.99, one-time fee, no advertisements, no subscriptions, and there's hundreds of cards already in it, and I add to it regularly. So you can come to the app at any time, pull a card. I'm going to hit show me a card right now. In every moment, this is what the card says, in every moment, I have the choice to give love or to withhold love. Oh, I mean, that can also be with yourself, with others. So it gives you a lot of things to think about. So you can then swipe to see a different card or hit show me a card again. You can heart that and it'll be saved in your favorites. You can easily hit the share button. You can um, come to the app at any time to pull a card. You can also, inside the app, set a daily reminder time because we, we forget. We forget to do these things that make us feel good, right? So set a reminder anytime you want. Maybe it's 7 a.m., 1 p.m., 7 p.m. You get to choose. You can change it at any time. And you get a reminder to go check the app. Go get yourself a card. And um, I'm going to pull a card again. And I got. I acknowledge what I have done and who I am at my core. 
instead of beating myself up for what I have not yet done. Ooh. One more. I embody magic. Magic is who I am. So as you can see, all sorts of them. Some of them are affirmations. Some of them are thoughts. Get you to own your awesome. Oh yeah, that's the name of the app. I don't think I said that yet. (laughs) The name of the app is Own Your Awesome. Go get it in the Apple or Google Play Store right now. And you can also easily gift it. How fun. Send your loved ones this awesome thing that they can have in the palm of their hands to make them feel good about themselves and love themselves. All right, let's get back to the episode. Let's get to where you are in Atlanta at this point, really leaning into the alcohol. Mm -hmm. You guys are making money, but yeah, the alcohol is becoming, you were right. I mean, I've shared this story before, but in in this, in your book, you have no nonsense too about post-it note from husband on the table. Yeah. Yeah. I woke up one morning and there was a post-it note next to pizza boxes, wine bottles, ice cream containers, unpaid credit card bills. It was from my husband and it said, you need to get your shit together. (laughs) And this is the guy I'm still married to, by the way. So we figured it out. Amazing. Yeah. And that was exactly what I thought. I thought, how dare this guy? Does he not know everything I do for him and for these kids and for everyone else? And um, at the same morning, I saw a poster board from my daughter on the ground for a science fair project. And I was supposed to help her with it that morning, but I didn't even get out of bed that day. I didn't get out of bed to do it. And it was just kind of a wake up call that, okay, maybe this is you. And that started a journey. Um, it didn't, it didn't start it immediately, but it begged the question, like, what are you doing? What, you know, what are, what are you actually doing with your life? How are you helping your family? How are you helping anyone? And so the year of no nonsense was born shortly after that. And it was just supposed to be this experiment. Like, what if I had a year of no nonsense? Nonsense is what for me? And what it really uncovered was some really deep, dark bullshit. That nonsense is a thing that is very subjective. And, and it may be funny, like, oh my God, I really have to put down the Nutella. Or it can be like, you know what? I really have to get out of this relationship because it's nonsense for me. And and that exploration is really tough to do because you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with your situation, your role in it. And the beautiful thing is I'm still not clear on everything you know it's it's a journey and and yeah it's about it's never probably like it's a you think like I did it I got rid of all that nonsense and then the next day starts and nonsense is always rearing its head and you have to no. go, I don't know walk you down I don't know are you nonsense <laughs> right and it's it's dizzying because then you think okay I've gotten rid of and that's the whole thing so the book I talk about, you've got to identify the areas in your life that are keep, keeping you from your greatest health, happiness, and success. So what are you doing, perpetuating, continuing that is standing in the way of the things you want? Like start there. What is it? And so for me, it was drinking and then it was gossiping and then it was my law job. And I got rid of all those. Like I was like, okay, quit drinking four years sober. Uh, my law job, finally out of it, writing a book, being a... None of those things is easy, even though you're just spitting it out. <laughs> N- none of these are easy, right. And this is like a decade long process, right? But then... But you zeroed in on nonsense and then fuck, go to work to clearing it out of your life. Go to work on it. 
And the thing you realize is it all comes down to childhood. (laughs) Um, It comes down to like more than what you think. It's never the presenting problem. And I talk about this in the book, The Truth Onion. You're holding this onion on the outside is your presenting problem. Oh, I need to lose weight. I'm so fat. That is my number one problem. If I was skinny, everything would be better. My life would be amazing. No, you need to peel a layer. What's under that? Oh, you're fat because you don't exercise. Why don't you exercise? You're too tired. Why are you too tired? You drink 50 bottles of wine. Why do you drink? Because you hate your husband. Why do you hate your husband? Because you hate your dad. Why do you hate your dad? Because he was an abusive asshole. And what? You know, really, I just want to be loved. Oh, there's a little child in me. Oh, my God, I'm going to die. Like, and, and that is the process. And the beautiful thing is you solve to the core of one of your truth onions. You're like, oh, my God, I'm like this because whatever. And now you know how to work forward from there because it, it helps you. Like when you work to the truth, you understand, oh my God, this is so simple. It sucks. It happened to me a hundred years ago, but now I know I don't have to identify with this. I can move forward. I can change it. But then as soon as you figure that out, then here sprouts another truth onion <laughs> with its crusty outer layer. And you're like, oh, I need to peel this one. And that's where I'm at right now. I mean, I wrote this book. I peeled a lot of onions and I got a new onion last week. <laughs> You know, and I'm mad. I'm mad because I tell, you know, I'm working with Lauren Zander. She's a, a famous life coach with Handel Group. And she's like, you're full of shit. You're a liar. And I'm like, oh, no, more, you know, and it's this constant growth that it has to happen. And it never ends. And so if you think you're going to fix your life and everything's going to be fine, it's never going to stop. Like, you're never going to continue you're never just going to get somewhere and be like, this is it. Like life is about growing. It's a journey. And somewhere along the way, we were told that when you get your law degree and you get your house and your two kids, everything's going to be happy and your Louis Vuitton, um, then you will be happy. And you know what? That was the saddest I'd ever been is the day I realized I was a lawyer and my two kids and my Louis Vuitton and I was driving my SUV. I was like, this is horrible. Like that was like the worst day of my life, you know? Mm. And it wasn't because of that. It was the reasons I went after it. And the reasons I went after it was people pleasing. And because someone said, squish your dreams, go make money. And I have determined, Maury Povich says, that is nonsense. That is a lie. And that is all this journey of the year of no nonsense was about is how can we uncover what is nonsense? And if we're going to parallel it to should. Yeah, we, you guys, uh, I'll link, I was on Meredith's podcast and we made, she made a video of it also. Um, and so, yeah, I was talking about my, you know, how I feel about shoulds and yeah, it's like same thing. It's like, it's similar, but different and they somewhat cover, but yeah, like she's calling it things nonsense. And what I've zeroed in on is like, yeah, for her, she's like that nonsense where I'm like so much stuff. That's how I've been able to Cause like, even though I had that aha moment at 15 and I was like, I'm going to make my opinion matter the most, <laughs> obviously still struggles and struggles and day to day and every fucking day, like I have to work so hard still to believe in myself and to make my opinion be the one that is the most important and the one that I listen to. And for me, that was by highlighting it on should and like, yeah, I gave that word up over 10 years ago and I still feel the weight of it every single fucking day. I don't use the word should anymore unless I'm saying, oh, that's a should or is that a should or whatever. But every day I can feel, you know, it in the choices I'm about to make and what I'm about to say and what I want to do, these this weight on me. And, and that's what the, that's why I'm writing the book is the tuning into. I'm not saying you're going to give up this word and your life's going to be perfect and never, you know, 
you're never gonna have a doubt and fear in this again because cool you're only living it from once and not shoulds but it's like because this that's life things come at you constantly everything no matter who you are and you know people I talked to on this podcast and no matter how much success they've created and how many boxes they've checked off and if they've got the law degree and the Louis Vuitton and whatever that it's like again you have to always come back to why am I doing this and for me that's that I'm toning into the should what's motivating this choice why do I want this or is this a should and it's never ending <laughs> It's never ending. It's never ending. There will always be new onions to peel and more nonsense in the way. But just like you pointed out, you are the, the first step is consciousness. It's it's being aware that you are running on shoulds. It's being aware that this is nonsense to you. Like the biggest example I've had that's so practical is with one of my life coaching clients. Um, she said, I cannot believe that I am room mom again. And I said, what, why is that, you know, is being room mom for your kid's school, is that nonsense to you? And she's like, yes. And I said, well, just quit. And she goes, oh, I can't. Why? Well, I have to. No, you don't. You know, and we went back and <laughs> we went back and forth. What will people think? I have to be. Yeah. I mean, I'm a good mom. I'm only, you know, that's the part of being a good mom. You have to be room mom. Like that's all stuff that's just like ingrained into us that are the shoulds. Yeah. And she'd been room mom for years, right? I mean, that was, and she said, oh, well, I just can't. I said, okay. I said, you can totally quit. It's fine, but you don't have to. And we moved on. And like two weeks later, she messaged me. She's like, I quit, I quit. And she was like, I was like, you quit your job? She's like, no, I quit room mom. And I was like, oh my God, great, good. And and she said, that was nonsense. And I'm like, I know, because once you identify it and you, you don't necessarily have to deal with it right now, but you will deal with it. When you say, you are nonsense. This is nonsense. That is nonsense. You've labeled it and you know it's bullshit in your life. And no matter what it is, once you've identified it and put a name on it, you <laughs> will eventually deal with it now, or it will deal with you <laughs> or it will deal with you. But just seeing what it is, seeing that you're saying should all the time, seeing what is nonsense. These are things that allow you to take control and to take, you know, to find your power to deal with what you want and to do what you want and to at least head in the right direction of the things that make you happier or healthier and more successful on your terms. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like the things are going to keep coming up. The daily struggles, doubts, fears, what am I, you know, the choices of do I want to do this? Why do I want to do this? Why am I a room mom? <laughs> Yeah. Is it because I want to or because I believe I should? Because that means I'd be a good mom. So does that mean I'm saying I can't be a good mom if I'm not the room mom? It's like we're constantly like judging ourselves and living into these fears and doubts and worries what other people think. And those thoughts may never stop, but you get quicker and quicker at labeling them. And that, yeah, you and I have both found this like sort of hacks of like, if you can label it nonsense or is this a should, then it helps you to be able to sort through everything in your life and see mm -hmm. that it's your choice or, or what am I going to do? How am I going to show up for it? Yeah. Yeah. And so like the, so the guiding question that I ask people to do just for like two weeks, if you think this is, this is ridiculous, you can't actually label something nonsense. Yeah, you can. Any choice you have to make, just ask yourself, is this nonsense? Yes or no to me. And look, my nonsense is not your nonsense. It's totally subjective. So being a room mom to me is a thousand million percent nonsense. I would never do it. I would rather have like my face covered and paper cuts and lemon juice poured on it than be a room mom. But it's nonsense to me. But some people love it, you know, but ask yourself, is this nonsense? 
yes or no. And, and just try it for like two weeks and see what you uncover. It's very interesting. Your pile of is this nonsense no's will be, will fit in a milk crate. <laughs> your pile of is this nonsense, yeah, this is nonsense, will be a mountain at the end of two weeks. It's shocking. It's shocking how much, and, and people go, well, how do I know if something's nonsense? You know, because you feel it in your gut. And that's what I was saying, the weight of shoulds. Yeah, it's like the same thing. Like I feel, even though I don't use the word, I can feel it. Oh, yes. What You feel it. And that is nonsense. Like, is, is it nonsense? Oh, there it's in my gut. Mm, yeah, it is for me. But it's, a, it's not a declaration on the world. It's not a declaration of other people's choices. Don't go telling other people what their nonsense is. Because um, you got your own to worry about. <laughs> um, but it, it's helpful. It, it, it is helpful to just see. All and right. then you can decide. Love and definitely go read her book, The Year of No Nonsense. But let's even get back. Yeah, you, short version, I guess, of, yeah, you said you started labeling the no nonsense or the nonsense and moving through that. And you also then, yeah, got really into doing triathlons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So triathlons came first. That was 10 years ago. And I, I wrote a book on triathlons I did for Ironmans because... Everything started with moving my body because I had been stagnant. I had gained a ton of weight. I was 280 pounds when I gave birth to my daughter, my second child. And I mean, it was plus drinking, all of these things. I kept drinking through triathlon, which is crazy. But I started with body movement, with moving my body and doing the sport. And that kind of reawakened, I think, the competitor in me, even though I was terrible at triathlon. I I just was a, you know, as a finisher, um, but it, it reawakens something in me. And I think that's a great step for anyone who is really, truly feeling just stuck and down. Learning to move your body on a daily basis, just in any way that feels good, is such a great start. And so that was my journey through triathlon. I wrote a book, Triathlon for the Every Woman. That was my first book and, and started this podcast and then wrote The Year of No Nonsense last year. So, yeah. So, and did you go triathlon? Was that just something that felt like easier for you to commit to than just like, oh, I'm moving my body, but like, oh, I have to sign up for this thing that I'm going to show up for. And like, that was able able to give you the accountability of actually like moving your body every day is that I'm doing this thing. It's, it started with spinning class. I just, I started going to a spinning class, but everyone in this particular spinning class, they were triathletes. And so I watched them and, and the guy that was leading Jerry Halpin, he was my coach. I've had him on one of my podcasts and he, he's a great inspiration, but he said, you know, you could do a triathlon if you wanted to. And I was like, why the hell would I want to do that? And, but it was like a challenge. He gave me this weird permission. Like you, you could do this if you wanted to. And I was like, oh man, maybe I should. And I went and did my first one. I did terrible. I was last and felt, crashed my bike in transition. Which, which, I mean, it was terrible. And then I left there going, this is the best thing I've ever done because it was so different. And um, my kids were so young and I got, an, you know, I got a morning away from my family. And, and that's not a joke. Like you need time away from your people, you know? And I had not been doing that. And so triathlon gave me a, a way to take time for myself and to have a goal and to move my body and travel on is not for the faint of mind either. So it reawakened and kind of connected the, the hard wiring. I think I lost during weightlifting and through Ironman, which is the really long triathlons. And I was over 200 pounds when I did Ironman. It's not like I just got fit and in shape. I'm still like a chunky kid. And 
I had, it's hard to do Ironman when you weigh that much. It's, it's hard physically, but the mental toll, like I had to be so mentally tough to cross those finish lines that I kind of redeemed myself, at least in my own mind for the way I was sort of mentally weak during weightlifting. And that translates when you start to make, when you finish goals like that, that translates into day-to-day life. And that was how I had the courage to get out of the legal profession and to write another book. That was about, that was my next question was like, yeah, like what made you finally leave being a lawyer? Yeah, you start to, you start to build. And during this time, so when 10 years ago, I started triathlon, that's when I started my blog. And so when people are like, well, it must be nice to just quit your job and become a writer. No, sweetheart. This was a 10 year, you know, an eight year build. I had a side hustle. I had a blog. I started a podcast. I had programs. I got coaching certified. I got nutrition certified, all this stuff. Like it was, it was side hustle central for eight years. And at the eight year mark, my husband was like, okay, I think we can afford to lose your great salary now. And we did. And we could not afford to lose my great salary. And it is still a struggle, but it's not an option now. It's, it's, I have seen, you know, the dream. <laughs> there, there's, I can't go back. I can't go back. And, um, and this, and my kids are better for it. Everyone is better for it. Everyone is better for it. And I sold my Louis Vuitton on Poshmark. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care anymore. I got my money back for that. (laughs) You know, it's just, you you learn what matters and look, if, if, if a purse matters to you, it mattered to me at one point too. And, And I'm not, and maybe one day it'll matter again. I don't know. Um, yeah. But I think too, and like while we're there, I think it's uh, it's easy to snap into judgment of what people have and why. It's not wrong to have a Louis Vuitton purse, but like, but the reasons like you no. brought up earlier, like the reasons behind it. If you're like, okay, if I have this Louis Vuitton purse, then that means something about like if you're making that be your meaning, this means mm-hmm. this is showing to the world that I'm enough, that I'm a worthy, that I'm successful, whatever. If you're buying something, doing something, whatever it is, because again, like this is okay, I'm gonna this is showing what the world is, but you're not feeling it inside. Like if you're like, yeah, if you can afford the Louis Vuitton purse and it brings you legit joy and maybe it even it's allowed to be a reminder of, yeah, this is proof that like, look at me, I'm taking care of myself. Right. I buy myself things that I love. I've I bought this with my money from right because I work hard like you're allowed to buy nice things people you're allowed to not have nice things neither means anything about it it's what you're making the meaning up about it doesn't matter (laughs) right because in my mind it was always like um oh I have this this is who I am look at what I have that's what it meant to me and so for me my husband's like are you seriously selling that purse and I'm like yes I don't want it like if I go and buy a Louis Vuitton, because I bought it on credit, I probably paid $4,000 for that purse after I paid my 17% interest on it. You know what I mean? If I, and I, they're great products. I still have my Louis Vuitton wallet. They are quality goods. I will, I mean, but if I ever buy one again, I will go pay cash for it. I will not have it over like something else I need. Like, you know, there, it, it means something different to me now. And it's not, you're right. It's not even about the purse. But for me, that particular item that I had in my closet was was weighing me down. And because it reminded me of a time when I was not doing well and I hadn't earned it and I wasn't doing it on my terms. And so, yeah, it, it's interesting how we attach to, to those things. But in another life, um, yeah, that could be something I'm super proud of. Be like, yeah, I bought this purse and I paid cash for it. And it was for my third book bonus. You know, that 
that to me would feel right. But I don't feel right having it under those circumstances because it was <laughs> fraud. <laughs> it wasn't real. And I like, you know, I'm trying to live a more real life. Yeah. Trying. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So where, <laughs> so now, yeah, you've real two books. You have no longer lawyering. Mm-hmm. You're got your podcast, you're right. coaching. Are you still doing the triathlons? Cause that's also, you were doing triathlons for so long, right? Eight years. Yeah. And I built a brand around it. I mean, it was like swim bike mom is my name everywhere. No, I don't do triathlon anymore. Um, but I do coach triathlons and I'm just, just tired of it. But was that a truck? That's what I was about to say. But that was like, too, when you got tired of it and realized it was time for you to stop, did you struggle with making that choice because of, again, sometimes it's like, well, even though I know this is what I want, but I built my brand around this. Everybody knows me as swim, swim my grandma. I've wrote this book. I am. This is who I am. Am I allowed to not do this anymore? So did you have a struggle? Did it take you a while to get to like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it did. And um, Swim Bike Mom was was built, you know, just as a blog. I mean, I I just started it because I wanted to write about it. And then it became bigger and bigger. And and then it kind of grew out of control. It just became this thing that wasn't even mine for a while. Like, you can go on Instagram and search the hashtag Swim Bike Mom. People have adopted it. Mother triathletes call themselves Swim Bike Moms. And, and it's not even mine anymore. You know what I mean? I mean, it is mine. It's trademark. Don't touch it. Um, <laughs> let's be clear. Uh, the lawyer would be. But, you know, it's no longer my identity. And that's hard. That's hard to step away from it. One, because it becomes your identity. Two, people don't, people like to label you. They, they like to have you in a certain box. And so when I wasn't doing races anymore, um, I took some heat for, for it. It was crazy. People, people started talking about me online and, I mean, just insanity. Like, I can't change my mind. Like, I'm supposed to stay in a sport I don't want to do anymore to make you happy and to align with my brand. I keep Swim Bike Mom because it's, I mean, whatever. Tim Ferriss keeps four-hour work week. (laughs) If Tim Ferriss can keep four-hour work week as his blog, I can keep Swim Bike Mom. And, you know, it's, it's about, but there was definitely that pressure. Like, I could keep doing two triathlons a year and still look like I'm in it. And that would be good for my business. But that's not what I want to do. And maybe I tell you, I'll probably do another triathlon someday. And when you see me doing it, you will know that I really want to be there. And I feel like that's a better example than someone who's slogging through it um, to appear that everything is, you know, brand aligned with brand. (laughs) I'm done. I posted something on Instagram the other day. I'm done building my brand. I am. I'm done. I can't curate my Instagram I do it for 10 posts and then I get mad because I feel like I'm constrained by it. And, and I'm just done. And, and I'm probably the worst business person ever because of it, but I, I'm just not going to do it anymore. I can't do it. And I'm tired of seeing some of it. Not all of it. Some people do a great job. It's beautifully done. You do a great job with your Instagram. It's beautiful. But by the way, mine isn't, it looks like it's curated and it kind of makes me mad that it does. But what mine, what I realized is that <laughs> I was feeling like, before I went to pretty much just quotes that are my own words, that it was harder for me 
to do Instagram because I felt like it was the yeah. should. I should be showing more of myself. I should have a picture. I should, you know, even like people like that don't care at all. And they're like weird picture here. And they just type whatever. I love those people. That stuff stressed me out for me to try to do it myself. For me, this is what yeah, feels yeah. easiest, best, what I want to do. But I am aware right. that it looks like I have like really cured, but it's just like, I like white, black and this beige color. I put words up every once in a while when it feels really good. I'm going to post you a picture that like, because I feel like I need to just do a venting post and not like these are the perfect sentence. But like, that's for me, it was like, again, because yeah. I, the shoulds, how should I be doing Instagram? How should I be doing my brand? And I was like, I just want right. to share what right. feels important for me to share and make it easiest for me. And so that's me in a white right. and black text. <laughs> Right, right. And for me, I feel constrained by that. I feel like I have to say something profound when I really just want to post a picture of the pretty flowers I saw on my walk and a picture of my lizard this morning. <laughs> like you got my lizard this morning. And people are like, ooh, unfollow lizard. Fine, go unfollow. He's our pet, you know. Um, but I also, when I was a teenager, it's interesting going back to the teenager years, I wanted to be a photographer too. Like I wanted to write and take photographs and do like all this stuff. And so for me, Instagram is also that. You know, it's, it's, I want to take a pretty photograph. Like I posted one of my kid, come, she threw a temper tantrum on a hike. She's sitting down on the ground with her, you know, just throwing a tantrum and it's a pretty photo. And I posted that and I don't feel like, I just want to share my life. And, and I, when I get back to the roots of Swim Bike Mom and how it all started, I was sharing my journey in triathlon. I was sharing my life. I wasn't trying to teach this great lesson. And I, I am better at my, you know, my job as, as Meredith Atwood, when I'm just, talking yeah. my shit <laughs> I think but you know at the same time maybe that's why you know I don't grow at the rate other people do but I'm not playing the game anymore I'm done that was a nonsense for me I can't and I'll tell you what turned it um I was looking at an Instagram and it was someone that I thought oh my gosh wow she has got a lot of followers and you know, I'm interested, you know, she seems interesting and, but I don't get it. And it, it just, and it's just started and I've worked at this 10 years and it, it just was this kind of toxic feeling to me. And I started looking and I realized she'd bought all her followers and that really chapped my ass. And I, and not because she did it. I don't care what she does, but it chapped my ass that I was comparing myself to someone who hadn't, you know, put in the work. <laughs> I guess, who hadn't earned the, it, it's, it's all stupid when you think about it. Oh, I didn't earn your followers, but they cared so much about looking like they had so many followers. They were willing to, to buy them all. And I, I don't do that, but I could. And then I would be like, oh, well, I have 150,000 followers too, but it's all a lie. And that's nonsense. And, and all of it's nonsense from the point that I'm sitting here looking and digging in this woman's profile to the to the fact that I figured it out, which made me feel great. And then to say, feel like I should be there. Like none of it makes any sense. And so that's when I decided yeah. I'm not doing it anymore. I mean, I'm going to do Instagram, but I'm going to do it because I like it. It brings me joy. And, and that's how I share, but that's it. I'm done yeah. comparing, digging, <laughs> looking, yeah. whatever. It's insanity. And well, that's again, what like, you know, another thing, like the, besides the should question for me too, like, is this a should? And is this one, like, why am I doing this? comes from is this who should is this a one is also like yeah like what am I making this mean like great so she has 150k followers and she bought them I only have this much like so what am I making this mean about me or do I need to buy new followers because what is that going to mean because then other people will think that I must be worthy of following because I have this many followers so I'm not worthy right now 
is what I'm telling myself. So it's again, it's all coming back to my own judgments on myself. Like right now, I'm telling myself I'm not enough. I must not be important enough. I must not be worthy of people following me because I have this number. So I better buy some because then that will mean I'm worthy, even though it's fake. And I'm going to know that every fucking day when I look at my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Every day. But we're putting these, you know, we're putting our joy, feelings of fulfillment, worth, enoughness on these like false things that aren't our own. That like, oh, I did this. I followed these rules. I did what everybody told me to do. I did the eating plan that this person tells me to do. I did this triathlon. Like whatever. It's like do whatever you're doing because it feels good and aligned and because you want to, not because the world told you to, or you'll make up if I do this and do this and do this, then I will have this because you fucking won't. You'll just pin it on something else. That's the whole point of the podcast being claim it, (laughs) but it's up to us. Yes. Yes. And also identifying how you want to be like just how you want to be in the world social media is not our lives and and it's just an extension and and we make it into this big thing and there's so many programs out there to tell you how to do your social and how to do this and do that and especially if you're just starting out I get people ask me all the time like how do I start sharing my message and I'm like pick a platform and just start talking like quit worrying about doing it right just get your message out there like Here's some writing prompts. Like I've got one life client that I said, get a Medium account, get an Instagram, write, here's five writing prompts, one for each day this week, write it on Instagram, share a blurb on, or write it on Medium, share a blurb on Instagram with a picture you like, go forth. Just share, share your message. Like that, that is, that's authentic. You know, that is, that's real. You're not out there trying to create a brand before you even have a, something to say. <laughs> I've had clients before too, and that they've worked with like other business clients or took other trainings. And they're like, I am so moved. I want to offer this to the world. You know, like I want to help people do this. I want to do this. But then they're struggling because, but you know, this post says at first I have to do this and I need my website up and then I need to create this funnel. And then I have to do these things. And I was just like, why don't you actually just start even like working on your met, like sharing, start, yeah, like start sharing on social media, what it is you're passionate about, start doing these things, start telling people, like start actually like doing it instead of you have to working on this should algorithm brand of this is this, whatever. And you have all these things in line. So if you're spending all your time worried about how you should be building a business and not thinking about what actually like, do I want, like, what feels good to me? What is this work I want to be doing? (laughs) Like there's everybody. Yeah. It's like, and again, like, Maybe that's bad business advice because, <laughs> but it's, but I don't think so because they're going to be building a business of these ways you should be doing it. And it's not going to be false because they're hard because they're going to be stuck probably still in that, not feeling like they're enough and they have enough to say and to help these people because I don't know, did I do all of these 18 things on this website so that I can serve mm-hmm. these people the best? Your time is so concerned with what you should be doing to have the best business and serve people the most when I'm like, why don't you just be like concentrating on what is it that you're passionate about and right. doing that and offering it and planting seeds. Right. And then you can still, yes, be building the website and building the things, but like. And everyone will tell you, every business coach out there will tell you, you know, pick your lane, narrow your focus, limit your audience. Who is your demographic? This is basic business 101. But I will tell you as someone who picked my audience, who narrowed my focus in triathlon to a very small pond, it's hard to get out of it. <laughs> it's hard to get out of the pond. So you better damn make sure that you've narrowed your focus into a pond you want to be in 
or it's hard to get out of it. And so like my advice is, why don't you just share your message and, and maybe it can apply across the board. Maybe you don't need to pick your lane. Maybe you need to be a good human and <laughs> share a good message and see who comes to you instead of trying to, to narrow it. Because once you're in it, it's really hard. I mean, I built a, a following around triathlon and I'm like, yeah, I don't do that anymore. And then like half my following is like, okay, well, we'll just go somewhere else. And then it's like, well, what, what am I even saying here? Well, it applies. Like my message in triathlon applies to life. Okay. This is the same message. My message in triathlon was just keep moving forward. I had, you know, that's what I always said. That's pretty simple to translate, you know, into life. And, and so, yeah. It's it's fun. It's fun. I love talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> we need to co- we need to create our own show together. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do something <laughs> together for sure. <laughs> what is a go-to to raise your joy levels? To raise my joy, I work out. I really do. Like it will take a crappy day and turn it around. Now, sometimes it turns a crappy day into like a, just a slightly less crappy day, but raising my joy is doing something good for myself and getting out of my head for a little bit. And so a good sweat, there's nothing like it. It just gets me out of the muck. And I've recently started meditating. That has also raised my joy. The standard answer I get from every guest on my podcast (laughs) is now the one I give on podcast. (laughs) Meditate. (laughs) So, um, these are all phrases that are from my product line uh, for keychains. They look, the keychains look like this in the corner. So I ask everybody to pick a oh, phrase cute. that not necessarily like the most, but which one they feel they need as a reminder in their life right now and why. Oh, these are, oh, a reminder right now. Um, that's good. I'm going to say so fucking grateful because, you know, as I go through day-to-day life, I need to remember that I am grateful for everything I do have and all, you know, health and gosh, I'm so healthy and I have two healthy kids and I've got a healthy husband and I take that for granted, not intentionally. Um, but I need to to spend more time thinking on what I, I should, <laughs> I should spend, I, I want. should not say should. I want, I will spend more time. <laughs> yeah. I want to spend more time focusing on what I have versus what I don't. And that's hard when you're in a hustle mindset, when, you, when you're always, you know, always be hustling. That's my other uh, mantra. When you're that way, it's hard to, to sit and be grateful and just be like, this is fine. Life is fine. Life is good. Stop for a minute. <laughs> sit still. Where, where do you, where is your always be hustling? Like, uh, what does that mean to you? And where do you feel like that came from? Oh, that came from my dad too. Like my, my, and you know, if you're going to take the bad, you're going to take the good. That's what Tony Robbins says. You're, if you're going to blame someone for the bad, you got to blame him for the good. I got to blame my dad for the hustle, for the entrepreneurship, for the freedom, for the ability to, to just go out there fearless and put balls to the wall. Like that's my dad. Like I am my dad. I'm my dad in all the good and bad ways too. Um, so I'm grateful for that. But yeah, I am always, always thinking, hustling, writing. Um, what's next? What can I do? How can I, it doesn't stop. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't want to be, I don't want to be quiet and grateful and still and never move. I mean, I want to be grateful, but uh, I want to be hustling. It, it feeds me. It makes me happy. Got it. Yeah. I, um, that's something that like I think I struggle with is like because I am always working 
but not. And it's again, I think that's the checking in is this coming from a place of should I should always be hustling. I need to keep putting stuff out there. Like, or is it, I love what I do and I love that I'm waking people up and I love that I'm like transforming the way people think about themselves and whatever. So for me, it's like making sure I'm resting and not forcing myself to hustle. And a lot of times though, in those rest periods is when I basically have never stopped working because yeah, my phone, Google doc idea, this, I have an idea. Oh, I want to make a post about this or a video or that or the, this, or the like, add this note to my book about shoulds and stuff like that. So it was like, I, working doesn't stop because it's coming from my heart, but that I'm always like, make sure like, that's why I was like, wanted to check one with you. I'm like, when you're always be hustling, do you let yourself off the hook and rest? Or is that a sort of like, I'm not enough unless I'm always hustling. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, for sure. I am definitely not, not enough unless I am doing for sure. I will own that. Uh, I will, I will claim that. <laughs> know that you're like, that's not the theme of this podcast. Wrong claim. Damn it, Meredith, that one wrong. No, I, I will own that. And I, I will claim that I need not act that way to to be of value. Um, but I it's it's a it's a dual thing because I do gain great joy from hustling. I agree. I love when I can write 10,000 words in a sitting, you know, and I'm like, whoa, that's like a fourth of a book. <laughs> you know, I love that. And then sometimes I'm like, I should write 10,000 words today. I don't have, you know, and then I'm like, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> Why can't you write 10,000 words? And so, yeah, it's a dual, it's a double-edged sword for me. Yeah. Um, but I know it. And, I, and I'm learning to, to I'm trying, this is the first time in 10 years that I try and take one day a week where I don't work. And that's stupid. Like people, I don't, I, I have worked seven days a week for 10 years. And now I, even with my clients, I'm like, I'm trying to take Saturdays off, but we can talk at 5.30. And they're like, it's fine. We can talk Sunday, <laughs> you know? Oh, okay. And so they're, they're kind of holding me accountable. Like take Saturday off coach. It's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will. <laughs> crazy, crazy. But I do get a lot of joy from it, but there is a point where there is not joy in doing it. And that's when I need to, so I'm trying to b- break, um, build in the time off. So the joy is a little more continuous. Yeah. And I don't just break. No. And that's what I was, like, I, and the working seven days a week, like, again, I could say the same thing, but it's like, that doesn't mean that I'm like, it's different for me and you too. My version of like, I do end up doing some work every day, but it could just be even like, Oh, I told myself I wasn't going to work today, but like, Oh, I, for, you know, realized I wanted to do this thing. And so it could be like a post or like, you know, like me figuring out words for something like that. But when I give myself that permission of like, remember, Trisha, it's the weekend. You don't have to work that that freedom. Then I sometimes will often come to it from a place of like, oh, but I really want to do this one thing. And that's OK. Yeah. So it's sort of like I don't have to fight like if an idea came to me and I really want to do it or this feels like the great time to do that. But it's like that feeling of like I always have to be working doesn't serve me. But it's like when I give myself permission to not even if it's like a Monday and my kids were like that's too when my kids were at school. <laughs> And it was like, this is a work day. This is a work day, Trisha. You have to be working. And if I wasn't like, even like giving myself a couple hours of like me time because it felt right when I gave myself permission, then all of a sudden a different energy came in. And I was like, oh, actually, I do want to do this. But like, I took some time to let myself be still and like take care of me or whatever, read this novel because that I was just feeling like crap. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, yeah, now I want to go. Now I'm so excited to do this work. 
Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I ask everybody to apply this yeah. phrase to their life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So can you think of a way to apply that to yourself? What is easiest for me is to do blank. What is best for me is to yeah. could have just been what we just said. Yeah. I mean, I can apply this to every area of my life. My, my husband says you've been forcing yourself through life since 1979. And because what is easiest for me is to drink booze, eat pizza and watch TV all day. That's easy. Um, it is a conscious effort to grow every day. It, it is easiest to not work out, to not meditate. It is, but what, what happens then is you get shit results. And then that's not easy. Then you're sitting there going, I don't want this, but that's what I did. That's what I earned. I don't want this too bad. You know, so I, what is easiest is not giving a shit, but the results that come from not giving a shit are something I can't deal with. And so I actually flipped that. I like to look at the end result. If I don't do the things that I say I'm going to do that I know are good for me, that's going to make things hard. So do the things that you think are quote hard and they're not hard. It's not hard to eat healthy. It's not hard to meditate. It's not hard to exercise. It's just a story we tell ourselves. Um, do the do the things that are good for you on the front end, even if they feel hard. And eventually they don't feel hard anymore. It feels hard when you don't do them. And it becomes yeah. a whole flip in your mindset. And that's why you use the word best and not hard. Because it, it is. That's what it usually does them. No, that's but that's <laughs> what our minds do. It's like it's either yeah. easy or hard. And sometimes it's like, yeah, it is a harder choice to do that thing that's best for you. But sometimes it's not. Like sometimes it's just like we're so ingrained to doing these things. What it's best for me, you know, like what is easiest right. is to say yes to everybody and to do all these things for everyone else because they expect them for me. What is best might be to say no and saying no is a lot easier, really, than doing all those things right. you don't like to do. But it feels so fucking hard. <laughs> like, you know, like, what is best for me. Right. It's the train analogy. I mean, it is hard to get a train moving. Like they're, they're, they're slow and hefty and they're hard to get moving difficult, best, whatever, whatever word we're using. I don't even know anymore. Um, but once you get the train moving, it, it's, it's yeah. easier. It's just got to get some momentum, an object in motion. Yeah. And that's, I also made me think I I've shared this post several times. It's like self-care can be a real pain in the ass sometime, but it's really always worth it because again, like we think like self-care can be like, Oh, you get a bubble bath or Netflix and chill. Like, you know, like whatever it is. And I'm like, but yeah, self-care is actually like doing those things that are going to be better for you and make you feel good. But they like right. can actually take like work. Like, yeah. Exercising. Self-care is keeping the promises you make to yourself. They are not necessarily fun. Self-care yeah. is such a misused word, like such a misused, like, don't even get me. <laughs> we don't even have enough time for that soapbox, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's self-care is doing yeah, it's like, what you need to do yeah. for yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's not all like bubble baths. <laughs> No and bubble spa baths. treatments. That's self-care. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that's called luxury. <laughs> luxury. Not necessarily self-care. And I'll tell you, I learned about having bubble baths. So we used to always have like a, a great big house because we used to live down south and money goes farther. Well, we live in Massachusetts now and I have a tub from 1950 and it's brown. And it goes up to my boobs. And now like taking a bath has a whole new meaning. So when people are like, go take a bath, I'm like, okay, I'll send you a selfie so you can see just how relaxing and self-care this is. <laughs> I sit in the tub. I actually took a picture of like, I put my feet up on the wall of the tub and I took a picture of it, sent it to my husband. And I was like, I'm going to make this into a poster that says, 
this is not my forever tub. <laughs> I'm going to put it up on the wall and be like, this is my new Louis Vuitton. I'm chasing. I can't die in this brown tub. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> so that's my joke for bubble baths. They're, they're really not all they cracked up to be now. <laughs> um, all right. The final question is the name of the podcast is claim it because we already touched on it sort of several times that I believe that our feelings of enoughness, worth, value, success, whatever it is that we're chasing is not out there somewhere. Once I have this, do this, be this, then I will feel enough, worthy, successful, fulfilled. It's something that we have to claim for ourselves every single day, sometimes every moment of every day. (laughs) What are you claiming for yourself right now? I am claiming that I am an honest person. (laughs) And that sounds weird. But I realized recently that I am a person who lacks a lot of personal integrity and not necessarily to others, but to myself. I lie to myself on a regular basis at obnoxious intervals and for everything, like lie about the food I'm eating, lie about the reps I do, lie about everything and it's stupid shit. And so I am claiming that I am a person of personal integrity. And that is a lot of people are like, well, I don't have to claim that I am that. Well, you might think so until you start making your lie list and looking at all the things that you're fibbing to yourself about. And that's what I'm learning. I'm going through interview with, with Handel coaching group and man, it's kicking my butt, like just kicking my ass. And so, yeah, right now I'm claiming that I am a person of personal integrity and I'm keeping three promises to myself every day and just trying to do a better job with me. Because I take care of everyone else. This has been my lifelong story. And I thought I was taking care of myself and I'm not. So, yeah, I'm claiming that. I love that. I love that. And since, yeah, in ca- like, can you give one example so that people out there can be more like, hmm, what does she mean? Like, like, yeah, yeah. So, um, well, just the other day, I... I woke up and I was like, I'm going to eat my food plan and I'm going to go work out. Well, I started whining. Well, I'm just going to have a little bit of dairy in my coffee. I don't do dairy. I can't. It messes with me. And I was going to do that. And I was like, well, my coach won't know. Well, that's a knock on my personal integrity. Like, that's me. Like, I would lie to my coach about dairy. What does that say about me? It's stupid. But then I go out on the porch to work out and I'm doing burpees. And I was supposed to do several rounds with nine burpees. So I'm like, well, I'll just do seven. And I started opening my head to that, to my, my inner voice. And I heard that stuff all day long. Well, I'll just do seven instead of nine, or I'll just have a little cream in my coffee here, which are not big things, but they, over time, over decades, they chip away at your personal integrity. They chip away and they become bigger. Oh, I'll just, you know, embezzle that money. <laughs> oh, I'll just, and, 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 and the big things become smaller things, like things you would never have done 10 years ago. All of a sudden you're doing because it's grown to that point because deep down you don't have any real personal integrity. And so it's been, and I've learned all this, like going through interview with, with the Handel group. And so I know I've said that a few times, but that's what I'm living right now. And I always try and share what, what in the world I'm going through. And, and their program is kind of blowing my mind right now, honestly. <laughs> the level of which I will lie to myself. Well, who knew? I, I had a friend uh, who worked with Lauren personally years ago, and he um, let me a little bit into that. It was a bit, I think that, I think she's amazing. I've never worked with her personally. I, yeah, I think that she's a total badass. I don't think that her type of work would be fitting for like my person. And that's the thing too, is like getting that, like, 
different things work for different types of people. <laughs> like, cause for me, I'm like, but I think that's too, I don't, I haven't struggled with those sort of things. So if I was be like, oh, what would be more? Cause again, I'd be asking like, is this a should? Oh, I should do this because I said I would. And like, oh yeah, why? It's then like asking your questions. Well, why was I going to put coffee, like cream in my coffee? Why, why did I not want cream? Why was I, why did I say I wouldn't want cream in my coffee? Cause it probably makes you feel better. Right. Like, or whatever. So yeah, it's like, right. Well, you get to pick your own promises, you know? So like to me, yeah. Yeah. And so it's not, I don't look at it as should, I look at it as uh, what the fuck, <laughs> you know, like you should not have dairy, like, because you will shit your pants. <laughs> you know, Right. Or it's even like, yeah, if, if I'm constantly like going against these, these things that I want to do, then why am I even doing them is also a question, you know, like, right. Like if you're like, oh, I'm not going to put dairy in my coffee. And then every day you're like, still like, I'm going to put dairy in my coffee. Then be like, why did I set that limit? It must've been for a reason. So like gives you a point to check back in with it. Right. Or like, like, okay, so you did seven burpees. Maybe you're tired. But like, if that's a pattern of yours that you're always like, "Mm, that's enough. That's good enough. That's good enough. Or like, I'll do better tomorrow. Like that sort of thing. So it's like by zeroing in on these small things that might seem small to a listener or like being like, you're kind of being hard on yourself. It's just that, that it's like that you've seen this pattern of like, maybe you're always letting yourself off the hook or letting things slide or not. Yeah. Sticking yeah. to what you actually right. like, want to be showing up for as yourself. Yeah. Right. All right. right. Well, we'll definitely link interview <laughs> and Lauren in the notes. Yeah, I've got a link for you. But no, like I met with Lauren is actually coaching me directly. And she is I'm sure (laughs) in a good way. Yeah, like like she's just killing me. Like I have never experienced anything like this in my life. So like, yeah, there's I asked her, I was like, do people hang up on you? Because I just can't imagine. I can't believe you just talked to me like that. And I'm still on the phone with, you know, and she's like, no, but a lot of people don't come back. Like, I get it. Because she's just so honest. honest. Right. Yeah. Just ripped me a new ass. So, I mean, you do tons of work before the call. So, I did like eight hours of writing and work, and she read it, and she's like, Yeah, you're like the devil. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, Oh my God. But then she, you know, it's a wake up. And, and it's just like Tony Robbins uses like taboo language to like wake you up. Like, she, she did that. Like, she it was like, Get a grip. Like, wake up up and uh, you know when you're sleeping or you you think you're operating at a vibration that's your best and it's just not because someone else sees it you know and they they wake you up and that's what it felt like it was just a wake-up call and and, um I think it's interesting I mean it's just it's been really interesting it's only been like you know a few days but I I definitely yeah, yeah it's been like a few days but it's, it's, it's 10 lifetimes that has happened in a few days. And so, but also as, yeah, as humans, uh, we unfortunately rarely get real talk like that because then besides ourselves and these shoulds and whatever and nonsense that we're living into, then people are afraid to be honest, afraid, even people that you pay to be a coach, I think can be tiptoeing around the actual problems or whatever. So yeah, she's just like fucking in there. Yeah, right up your asshole, right all digging in there. All right, thank you so much, <laughs> Meredith. I love talking to you. You guys can go hear um, me over on her podcast too. We'll link that and link her books and all the stuff. Thank you, it was fun. Yeah, come visit me. Come like me on Instagram so I can get some more followers. <laughs> all right. I hope you love that conversation with Meredith. To find her, she's at Swim Bike Mom 
on social media and her website is swimbikemom.com. Um, of course, for full show notes and links to what we have mentioned, you can go to yourdrialgist.com slash podcast and you'll find all the episodes there. Uh, for everything me, I'm at yourdrialgist and yourdrialgist.com. I would love to know what is something that like within this conversation you thought for yourself, oh yeah, that's some nonsense. <laughs> like, can you already see nonsense that you can name in your own life? So that's what I'm leaving you to think about today. What is some nonsense I can eliminate, say no to the next time it comes up or right now? Go, see ya, <laughs> not for me. And remember, everybody's nonsense is different. So I loved that remembering too. You know, it's not about judging someone else, but looking at yourself, what's working for you? What's not working? What are you holding on and taking on that is not for you and is not serving you? So love to hear from you. You can share it and tag us, please. Well, first of all, thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs> thank you. Um, I would love for you to subscribe if you have not yet and leave a review. The reviews um, are magical because I get to actually see that you're listening and why you're listening and what you're getting from it. And that means so much to me. And it also helps the podcast be more discoverable, you know, algorithms and all that stuff. So I really appreciate it. And to show my appreciation, leave a review and screenshot it and email it to me at podcast at yourjoyologist.com. And I'll send you a little gift from my product line. Just like I have everybody pick a keychain, I have my affirmation deck, mugs, water bottles, wine glasses, journals, notepads, all sorts of products to empower you and inspire you. Because, you know, like I say, we forget. We forget how awesome we are. We forget that this is our life to claim, that we are enough that we are worthy, that even though we're reaching for more, we're successful right now. We can be fulfilled right now while wanting to do more. I know it's confusing, <laughs> but do it. Think about what does it feel like to be fulfilled? Do I think once I have this, what will that feel like? Think about this feeling that you may be running after and seeking and try to feel what, does, what will that even feel like? Let's see if you can embody that right now. All right. Again, come find me at Your Geologist. Please share the episode and feel free to DM me. I love hearing from you.